Our scripture today is the letter of Paul to Philemon. And uh, just a few notes about this text before we begin. Uh, Paul is writing this letter while in prison. And he's writing to someone named Philemon, who's the leader of a household church sometime in the first century. And the subject of the letter is a person named Onesimus. Some think, based on the text, that Onesimus is a slave or servant that has run away from Philemon. Others are not so sure. The text is not entirely clear. But we are certain from the text itself that Paul urges Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. It is a short book. I wish I could read the whole thing to you, but if you're like me, when someone reads to you after a while, the listening turns into something else. (laughs) So I'm going to read uh, to verse 12, which is one verse longer than I've printed in the bulletin. So listen now to, through the Holy Spirit, what may be God's word to us today. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, To Philemon, our dear friend, our beloved, and co-worker. To Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith. Towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, I am. Excuse me, for this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Winnesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful, both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray to the God who grants high fives. Let us pray. Lord, it is by your spirit that we are gathered here today to listen together to what you might be saying through the words of this long ago written text and this sermon recently prepared. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our God, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Given the ending of the children's sermon, I do want to begin this 
adult sermon uh, with a note about pronunciation. Um, If I say Philemon one minute and Philemon the next, I'm talking about the same person. (laughs) So also with Onesimus or Onesimus. In my practice, in my preparation, I've just used all those names together. So I'm talking about the same people. Philemon, got it right that time, Philemon is the third shortest book of our Bible, but it punches well above its weight. Now, if you prefer Oxford study Bible commentaries more than boxing metaphors, what I mean to say is that Philemon has played a role, quote, in the history of Christian social ethics disproportionate to its size. As far back as the 4th century, this letter has been interpreted by some to justify slavery and the return of fugitive slaves to their masters, and by others to champion liberty and justice for all. This text is an enigmatic text because so much is said in it and so much is left unsaid sparking any number of debates that we will not resolve today in this sermon. For our time together, I would prefer that we attend to a different question that lurks in this text, a question that is worthy of our attention and our response as the people of God. And that question is this. Will you live up to your name? Will you live up to your name? Now, as a way into that question, I want to celebrate today the presence of my beloved friend Robert and his twin sons, Jack and Luke, and his twin daughters, Bailey and Brooklyn. Yes, you heard that right, folks. Two sets of twins, one single father, going up and down the East Coast on his trip with them from Houston. Robert and I have been friends since the sixth grade, 1986. For some of you, that seems like a long time ago. For some of you, that's like, this is yesterday. (laughs) But in those ancient or yesterdays, uh, when I went by Pat and Robert went by Bob, he had a nickname. And that nickname was Be Bold. Be Bold. Often we would pass each other on the hallways and, what's up, Be Bold? (laughs) Robert earned that nickname because he was and still is all in in everything that he does. For example, Bob wasn't any nondescript student just quietly walking the halls of Wissahickon High School. He was our spirited Trojan mascot, strutting confidently on the sidelines, his face covered in yellow and blue, his snow-white legs beneath the cheerleading skirt (laughs) that earned him jeers from the home team fans as much as the away team. 
Robert is still be bold, even if I don't call him that much, because these days when he and his kids, Jack Luke, Brooklyn Bailey, go to the movies, they don't just sit anonymously in their seats like everyone else. They dress up. They become the characters of the movies they are going to see, the heroes and the heroines, the Smurfs and the superheroes. If you go to see a movie this week, you might see a band of Indiana Joneses <laughs> saving us from their temple of doom. But most of all, for Robert, being bold means more than dressing up as a character, but living with character. That is, stepping up in the midst of great personal and professional upheaval and being all in for those in his life who matter the most to him especially those seated near him today in the pews. Indeed, Robert is be bold because he lives up to his name. And that's what Paul's letter asks Philemon to do. Live up to his name. Live up to who Philemon is called to be in this life. In the original Greek language, Philemon means the loving one. And indeed, Jacob was right. It's the same root of the city whose suburbs Robert and I once called home, Philadelphia. Home of loving brothers and booing fans. <laughs> In the salutation to this letter, Paul also, though, gives Philemon something of a nickname. It was the Greek word right after the word Philemon in the salutation the word was agapito, that is, the beloved one. Agapito, the beloved one. So by name, the recipient of this letter is Philemon, the agapito, the loving one, who is beloved. Paul, in these short verses, urges Philemon to be who he is, to be that name, but it seems that Philemon was not. To make his point, Paul does that thing where you deliver a compliment, or excuse me, you deliver a critique through a compliment, something like, oh, that picture really highlights your good side. <laughs> Paul does this too, but he says, Philemon, I always thank you, and I always thank my God because of you, because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith in the Lord Jesus. But I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. May be effective when you perceive. This isn't one of those, oh, snap, harsh put-downs. But in these conditional words, Paul conveys his sense that Philemon is falling short in his service to the gospel. Philemon may indeed be loving. He may indeed be faithful and respectable and doing good things in the church. But in Paul's eyes, so much more was possible from Philemon. Something is keeping Philemon from abundance in the gospel. He's stuck behind some kind of wall. 
And spray-painted on that wall is the name Winnicinus. Winnicinus. His name, Winnicinus, means useful or beneficial. But for some reason, Winnicinus, or rather his broken relationship with Philemon, is an unhelpful, unbeneficial stumbling block. Keeping Philemon from perceiving and enacting all of the good that dwells in him. And we don't know what happened between them. Some fracture. The text hints that Winesimus owed Philemon some debt. So Paul offers to pay it. Maybe Winesimus has wronged Philemon. So Paul offers to bear the cost that would right that wrong. Whatever it was, Paul was clearly all in on making this relationship right. He was invested. At the end of the letter, he says to Philemon, make a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers to be restored to you. A pretty hopeful thing to say when in prison but also revealing the way in which Paul sees Philemon's broken relationship with Winesimus as the basis of Paul's own broken relationship with Philemon. Unless things are right with those two, things cannot be right with you and me. So Paul makes this urgent, heartfelt appeal. Philemon, beloved, welcome Winesimus back. Not as a useful slave, but as a beneficial brother. Welcome him, Philemon, as you would welcome me, my own heart. In other words, live up to your name. Be the loving one who is beloved. Now, not all of us have names that signify or symbolize some ideal or deep meaning, uh, I didn't know this week, until this week, that my name, Patrick, comes from the Latin word patrician, or noble one. Pretty good. <laughs> hey, uh, Jacob, do you know what your name means? Not noble one. Not noble one. No. From the Hebrew, it comes from the word he who supplants, or usurps, or ousts. <laughs> Larry ought to be very worried that he's not here right now. So let's just say that your name means biblical patriarch, and we'll call that even, all right? But no matter our name, no matter each of your names, no matter the depths of our love and the faith that we truly hold, no matter the good things that we are definitely doing together as people, each of us, each of us has some kind of wall some kind of barrier that's blocking us from being or even perceiving the good that we may offer to the world as the people of God. For some of us, or maybe all of us, that wall has a name or names spray-painted on it. Names of those with whom we are not in right relationship. Perhaps because of debts owed or wrongs committed, names of those with whom we so vigorously disagree 
we cannot imagine with them anything but discord. Maybe our names are on those walls for all the ways that we get in our own way. And the quick and easy thing for me to do in this sermon would be to say and point to this letter and just say, just just welcome that person back in. Embrace him as a brother or a sister. Take them back, just as Paul told Philemon to do with Onesimus. But we know it's not that simple. Some wrongs are not so easily made right. Some debts are too big to be paid back. We can't just slap this first century letter on our present day challenges and magically expect that all shall be well when we know all too well that it doesn't always turn out that way. It's notable that we don't know what happened with this Philemon or this Winnesimus down the road. But we can, and I pray that we will, listen to this letter Listen to Paul's urgency, how much he cares. Listen to how invested and all in Paul is and how much Paul is willing to do, even in his constrained state, to make things right, even at his own personal cost. Listen to the hope that permeates these short pages that punch beyond their weight. Hope that a guest room will be prepared and liberation and restoration may occur. In Paul's rumblings in these pages, we hear the thundering sound of God, the God who cried out in anguish when Cain killed his brother Abel's, and God said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. We might hear the prophet's proclamation of the Messiah who would bear our infirmities, carry our diseases, who would be wounded by our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, all so that we may be welcomed into the kingdom of God. We might hear in Paul's pages the hopeful voice of the Savior of these pages, telling his disciples that he has prepared a guest room, an upper room for them where he will feed them his very self, where he will promise that he will take them to the guest room, the dwelling place that is being prepared for them in God. As the medium of God's message in this sacred text, Paul bears witness to God's urgent desire for us to overcome the walls of our division with others and ourselves. This God is all in in Jesus Christ, willing to empty God's own self, as we will soon say, and take the form of a beneficial servant who bears the wounds and costs of making things right. This God yearns for us to live up to the calling of our name, a name that God claims for God's own self. What is that name? What is that name? Beloved. This is my son, the beloved, said that voice from heaven as Jesus emerged from the waters of his baptism. 
And that belovedness was the basis of everything that followed in Christ's life and those around him. That belovedness was the basis of everything Paul wished for Philemon, the agapiton, the beloved. Now, claiming the power of that name will not cause the walls of our lives to magically crumble down, but they will make those walls look a whole lot smaller. So let us claim that name, beloved, for there is urgency to all of this. This week, as citizens of this country, we celebrate the birth of a land that has a name that it still cannot live up to, the United States of America, where there are so many walls erected at so much personal and communal cost. And we, church, worship as part of the fold of Christianity that also is unable to live up to the Christ of its name. A Christianity that leads some to deny their gifts and services to others based on their sexuality and other expressions of their humanity, while others, myself very much among them, who claim Christianity as the very reason why those gifts ought to be offered to them in the first place. It seems almost quaint, ineffectual, Hallmarkian, to say that claiming our belovedness will in any way lead to the restoration that we seek for our country, for our church, for ourselves. But how can we grant belovedness to others unless we boldly, boldly claim it for ourselves? How can we overcome the walls that block us from others when we ourselves are cut off from the very essence of who we are? Remember, in Christ, you are beloved. Whatever your name or nickname that you have been given, you are beloved. Whether you are a patriarch or a matriarch, a patrician or a plebe, you are beloved. Whatever you are trying to do but can't, and whatever you are trying not to do but still are, you are beloved. Whatever you have found and whatever you have lost, you are beloved. Whatever this world throws at you, and whatever stain you make on this world, you are beloved. In Christ, you are beloved. So be bold in that belovedness. For that is the starting point of your name, and it is the destiny of our shared calling. Amen.